Amen. Hello. Um, strap yourselves in. We've got some things to get through and not very much time. So um, I'm talking from John 11, which is the story of Lazarus. I'm really hoping you know it if you don't go and read it. It takes four and a half minutes to read out loud. I timed it. We don't have that. So summary, um, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Jesus remains where he is for two days longer, having responded by saying that the sickness will not end in death. Jesus arrives four days after Lazarus has been buried. Mary and Martha both tell Jesus that if he'd been there, then their brother would not have died. And Jesus grieves with the family. Then Jesus prays to the Father and calls Lazarus out of the grave and back from the dead. So, and we could stop there, but we won't. Um, Let's look at some of the passages in more detail. So in verse 3, we hear the message that the sisters sent to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. And that's it. There's no request for Jesus to come. I'm not sure I would have been so restrained if I had postal access. Um, Yet they knew such a request was unnecessary. The simple fact that they were in need was enough. It was sufficient that Jesus would know. They do not try to persuade or plead with God. They don't list their own relationship with Jesus or the relationship of their brother. And they don't beg, pastor based on past or future good behaviour. It's a message of faith with the strongest call that they can think of. They call upon Jesus on the basis of his perfect love and not their own flawed reflection. In a situation so dire and desperate, they call upon the highest power they know of, which is the love of Jesus. And there's such a strength, but also a peace in that. In my most desperate situations in the darkest pit or the longest valley of my life. My rescue isn't based on me. It's not based on my ability to withstand the suffering or earn redemption. I'm saved by the work and love of Jesus. Jesus, the one you love, is sick. Jesus, the one you love, is hurting. Jesus, the one you love, is lost. Jesus, the one you love, has cancer. Jesus, the one you love, needs a home a friend, a job, what would you fill the space with? What do you need the one who loves you to know? And there's no pleading needed. His love is perfect. We don't have to push him to greater depths. We don't have to move him to match our level of compassion. His love is perfect. And it's how Jesus taught us to pray, to start every prayer with the word Father, to start with relationship to start with his relationship to us, to speak every prayer only after I've reminded my spirit how deeply loved I am by the person I'm calling on for help. When I say this prayer, I'm not reminding myself of my own failings. I don't have to measure up to something. I'm loved beyond measure. In situations where we do not know what we even have to ask, then it's enough. It's enough that Jesus would know that Jesus is there, that Jesus is here. And we bring him. We bring the Holy Spirit in when we walk into those situations knowing who we are. We bring that strength and that strange peace that goes beyond understanding. And Jesus sends a response to the sisters, a reassurance that this sickness would not end in death but in God's glory. And yet he waits two more days. 
And in that time, Lazarus dies and is buried. What a challenge to the faith must Mary and Martha have felt when that promise from Jesus seemed to have failed. When the love of God didn't feel like enough for the circumstance they were in. We don't get to see that bit of their story. We often don't let anyone into those places of doubt and fear in our own lives. We only see how they respond when Jesus does finally come. But we see confusion from both of them. They both separately say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the crowd of mourners join in. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And yet even in the midst of this confusion, the face-to-face reality of the mystery that we live in, Martha proclaims her faith. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She's clinging on to the hope of a promise in the midst of her own misery. Jesus promised that this will not be the end. It will not end in death, and so it cannot be the end. How often do we call time before the promises of God have been fulfilled in our own lives? I definitely do. (laughs) If it doesn't look like God's kingdom, then we still have something left to pray for. If it isn't the promise, then it isn't the end. Is your faith based on circumstances or on Jesus? Where have you fixed your eyes? So what does Jesus do when he's confronted with these women? Verse 33 tells us that Jesus was deeply moved. Some scholars believe that the verb used, embromathai, I think, I don't know how you say it, um, most readily translated as a snort of anger, it's often referred to as, some, as like a horse um, snort of anger, and it's used in lots of places in the New Testament, um, but it's more when Jesus is sort of admonishing someone really strongly to do something or is angry in a moment. And they've looked at it in this context and realized that it's giving way to such a distress of spirit that makes his body tremble, like an involuntary groan of grief. And this moment of uncontainable grief is followed by the famous short phrase, Jesus wept. We do not have a God who's unable to share in our sufferings. And nor do we have, as the Greek listeners for whom this gospel was written, believed that we had a God who had apathia, an inability to feel emotion. They logic that this was crucial to avoid a God whose emotions could be swayed by another person. And so someone else could in that moment be said to have power over them. For a God to be all-powerful, he had to be devoid of feeling. Jesus blew that out of the water for them. In fact, his emotions were so powerful that they were remarked upon by the large crowd of mourners. Now, in Jewish custom, everyone who was able was supposed to join the funeral procession and demonstrate by the sheer volume of their weeping the honour that they were paying to the dead. And in fact, the first three days after a burial were supposed to be days purely of weeping. It wasn't a very polite scene that Jesus had walked into, and it probably wasn't very pretty, because for the first seven days, no one was allowed to wash. And yet when they saw the depth of Jesus' grief in the moment when he wept, they were struck and proclaimed aloud how much he must have loved Lazarus. Jesus wept, and he was not lacking in faith. He knew exactly what the plan was. He knew 
what he was just about to do. And yet he still wept. Crying is not weakness and it does not show lack of faith. Jesus gave way to such distress as made his body tremble. Our tears in these moments are precious and they are one of the ways in which we respond to situations like Jesus. We do not have a God who is unable to share in our sufferings. So, maybe we should try praying like those sisters, starting by affirming our relationship with God, knowing it has not changed from one moment to the next, because his love is constant. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Lamentations 3.22 We start with our Father. We pray with a confident identity that we are one whom Jesus loves, with a peace that comes from knowing we have a saviour who is all-powerful, all-loving, and who understands our individual circumstance and pain. And we hold on to hope, not pretending we're not experiencing the feelings of the moment, but like a people that know that they live in the land of the dying, but for whom death is a doorway into an eternity in the land of the living. We can say, Jesus, the one you love, is, and fill in that blank for ourselves.